At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. It's August 25th, and I want to welcome you to another edition of Political Breakfast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you for that. I'm Lisa Ram, and political strategist Brian Robinson and Darren Johnson are both here. Hello to another week, another day. Hope you both are well. Thank you, Lisa. Glad to be here. Good to see you, Lisa. Our special guest today is someone that we all know very well, and you out there probably do too. If anything, you know his name, and you probably know some of the initiatives that he's launched in his beloved DeKalb County. I'm speaking of CEO of DeKalb County, Michael Thurman, CEO since 2017. Welcome. It is always good to have you sit down and chat with you. Thank you so much, Lisa. And you have been and will be and will always be one of my most favorite uh, journalists. Uh, we appreciate your illustrious career, and I'm just thrilled to be with you again. Well, you know you make me Even blush every single virtual. time. I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much. And I did not pay him for that. There's a reason why this guy's <laughs> never lost an election, right? It, it is okay to be with Darren and Brian, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we certainly know how busy you are, and we appreciate you stopping by. You know, you're first term is winding down, and it, it's probably an understatement to say that it's been a very busy and challenging four years. Among other things, you have been credited with rebuilding the city's very tattered infrastructure, and that's still a work in progress, I know. But what's earning you accolades from DeKalb residents, your constituency right now, is your advocacy throughout the pandemic, your efforts to get people to mask up, to stay in those masks and to get vaccinated. So with that said, I'd like to begin our conversation by asking you to share your thoughts on Governor Kemp's recent executive order that that banned cities from requiring businesses to enforce local res restrictions that could help stave off the coronavirus. Do you see it as a step backwards during a time when the numbers are starting to surge again? Well, Lisa, first of all, you know, I miss the old Republican Party who believed in local control. Uh, you know, back in the good old days, uh, that was part of really the cornerstone of Republican Party ideology, which is allow local leaders who are closest to the problem to make decisions to address or mitigate or, pr or provide solutions to problems. And I think it's best, uh, as he has stated, with school boards, uh, there's really no difference from an elected school board member as opposed to an elected mayor or county commission. And I don't really think you ought to differentiate between the two. Uh, he made the right decision to allow local school boards to determine whether or not they would impose mass mandates because he said it was the right thing to do. I think we just need to be more consistent and allow mayors and county commissioners and other local leaders to make similar decisions to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. 
If you were to sit down with Governor Kemp, how would you begin that that conversation when it comes to effectively managing the pandemic? Well, first, I'd probably start uh, talk to him about uh, our beloved gladiators. We attended the same high school over in Athens, Georgia. <laughs> played on the same football team. <laughs> well, he played on the team about 10 years after I did. But I'll start there. Okay. Yeah. And then Theron played for him 10 years after that. <laughs> right. Theron I, so I called this Theron is ridiculous. and we had to have a big cuddle with gladiators. And, okay. uh, you know, kind of lean on that gladiator shield a little bit and hopefully come to a better resolution to some of the challenges we're facing in this state. But no, I would ask him seriously uh, to allow local leaders, as he uh, uh, did through the school district, to make better decisions about how to manage the uh, virus, particularly the Delta variant. Look, this thing is so localized. And if you look at the map right now, in terms of how high admission and, and, and moderate admission, it's different in each county. That's why you see some schools uh, uh, going to virtual, some schools uh, enacting mass mandates, and some school districts that are not. That's the beauty of the right decision with school districts. Uh, but not so much, I think, with mayors and county commissioners. If I could step in here, I uh, want to ask you about DeKalb and COVID and some things that are local. And I know you don't have any control over the school system as CEO of the county, but obviously you used to be the superintendent of DeKalb County Schools, so you have some expertise here. I can tell you, as longtime listeners know, as you know, I am a constituent of yours. I live in Brookhaven in the northern part of the county. And I can tell you that I had seen a lot of support in my community for the local elementary school, the local public elementary school. Just, a, you know, we had, there's a 5K race in the neighborhood that benefits it, that everybody shows up for. It's really quite a community event. But I have seen over the last 18 months a decisive loss of faith in the DeKalb County school system amongst those same parents that who disagree with uh, – the fact that the school stayed closed for so long last year, so many kids fell behind, uh, in, in many cases, hopelessly. What, what do you think about that? Do you think that loss of faith in the school system is, is fair? What do, you, what, what do you think? Well, I've seen it at a recent public event, and the superintendent was present, uh, that being the superintendent of the DeKalb County School District is the toughest public sector job in the county. It's more difficult than being CEO. I've been both uh, because when you're dealing with 100, nearly 100,000 students, uh, every issue and every decision you make is one uh, anchored by an emergency. And I think under the circumstances, the thing about COVID-19 and now the Delta variant, uh, it's a novel virus. And that means that this has never happened before. There is no COVID-19 Delta variant playbook. Every decision is a decision of first impression. And consequently, uh, each and every person, citizen, taxpayer, parent, has a different idea about how we should proceed in the virus. And see, the virus impacts different communities differently. Uh, as you know, uh, the, the virus had a disproportionate impact on African-Americans and other people of color and people with underlying health disparities. So trying to make the right decision for a broad, diverse population like the CAB, in particular the school district, is very, very difficult. 
Uh, I believe that Superintendent Watson Harris is actually doing a good job under very difficult circumstances, as with all educators right now. I have several friends who work with me who are now superintendents uh, in metro Atlanta and across the state of Georgia. And I text them, I, I email them, and sometimes talk to them on the phone and just encourage them to try to do the right thing, knowing that there will be a substantial population of people who disagree with me. But this is the situation we're in right now. One thing about you, you are very supportive of all the leaders you have in place in DeKalb County, and that includes the superintendent of schools. But if you were the superintendent again, would all those students be home? Here's some of the the, the numbers uh, today. 342 cases being reported daily in DeKalb County. 47% of residents are fully vaccinated. 40% of Black and Hispanic residents have only received one shot. More and more children are getting sick with the virus. Would you prefer that those kids stay at home? Definitely would require uh, masks uh, for students and staff, particularly because students 12 and under are not now eligible for the vaccination. And I would try to make arrangements for those parents who did not want their children to wear masks to still be able to attend school, but recognize, and I'm going to quote, uh, it's one of my favorite quotes, uh, the needs of the, uh, of the many outweigh the needs of the few, of the one. And I wish that was Shakespeare, but actually, that's William Shatner. That's Spot. That's uh, James T. Kirk. <laughs> James T. Kirk. <laughs> see, Brian, Brian was going through, man, which was that? Shakespeare, the entertainment of the truth? Because <laughs> I'm so erudite, you know? Yeah. That's right. You know, an intellectual, you see one. <laughs> <laughs> and I said it was such a serious tone, but the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. I mean, that, it's just that's just it. And so, as Dark a public leader, <laughs> but yeah. that's all we can do. That's the best we can do, knowing that number one, there are no absolute, knowing that no matter which decision I make, people will be angry, and people have the right to be angry and to question your decision making. And you got to expect that they'll know. And Brian has been in this. Darren has been in public sector. There are just some points where there are no 100% right uh, solutions. And oftentimes it's a 5149 proposition and you just have to do the best you can, recognizing that there's a plurality of people who have every right to be angry and to disagree with. Mr. CEO, it's good to see you, my friend, my homeboy. Go Gladiators. Um, (laughs) I want you to tell our listeners and and people who, uh, like Brian, definitely... Uh, lets it be known that he's a DeKalb County resident. And most times, uh, 90, 90% of the time, says nice things about you on this uh, podcast. Uh, no, he got my water situation fixed. What about most distinguished? I'm sure you want to tell the water story here in a second. But, Ms. CEO, I want you to um, share with our listeners, um, as a local leader uh, who was called upon when this deadly pandemic, COVID-19, coronavirus, uh, not only hit our nation, but it hit Georgia and it hit DeKalb County. Um, tell us sort of, you know, what was going through your mind and, and this burden fell on a lot of local leaders like yourself to act quickly. And I know you've been doing food distributions uh, for many, many months uh, in DeKalb County. And then you had this uh, innovative idea to answer the call of President Biden to use the federal funding in an innovative way 
to encourage DeKalb residents to get their vac- vaccine shots. And you've come up with a spectacular idea uh, that incentivizes them to do so. So I think our listeners would love to hear sort of just uh, uh, the process that you've been going through in these months and being out there in front as the leader of DeKalb County, making sure that people get the information that they need, they can get tested, but now encouraging them to get vaccinated. Well, first, uh, thank you, Theron, for the question. And, you know, we have a great uh, team. Uh, it's the Board of Commissioners. Uh, you know, CEO is a cool job unless you fail to get four votes on the Board of Commissioners. Then it's, it's a horrible job. Uh, we work well with our legislators as well as our federal representatives. What we did first prior to the recession was we had a budget that was based on the ants and the grasshopper. We had a premonition that 2020 would be a very difficult year economically. So we reduced our spending, believe it or not. And so when the recession that was fueled by the pandemic came, uh, we had a very strong fiscal uh, foundation in which to operate from. Uh, We were early on preparing masks and sanitizers. And really what really triggered me, not when it was in China, even on the West Coast, is when the basketball player from Indiana contracted COVID. You remember that, Lisa? And everybody was like, what is this? This guy, for some reason, it dawned on me that this virus was moving to the East. And so we began to uh, uh, take steps, working with the Board of Health, Dr. Elizabeth Ford, uh, who's not here, uh, tried to distribute masks and sanitizers. But the broader issue is when you're dealing with a crisis, the one thing I've said to my managers and directors, back to being a novel virus and a novel crisis, is typically in life, in the public and private sector, the one thing you can rely on most is your experience. But when you're dealing with a novel crisis, the worst thing you can do is totally rely on your experience. Experience remains a tool that can be leveraged, but if you totally rely on experience, you'll fail. The other thing I've learned over the years uh, working uh, for Zell Miller and working uh, for other leaders, uh, whether it was as labor commission and school district, is when you have a crisis of this magnitude or smaller magnitude, it resists political solutions. See, COVID doesn't really care whether you're Republican or Democrat. It doesn't give a doggone what your poly affiliation is. It really doesn't. It's seeking to replicate itself, survive, and willing to kill the host, whoever he or she might be. It doesn't care whether you got a PhD or no D, whether you live in the suburbs or whatever. So we're dealing with something that you have to approach it from an apolitical perspective and use the resources and talents and abilities as best you have them to respond in an aggressive way. The most important thing we've done with our COVID money, you mentioned the food distribution and now the vaccinations. Uh, we invested early in public safety as well. And the White House celebrated that. Matter of fact, President Biden called a press conference and decided that every jurisdiction ought to use their money uh, to enhance uh, public safety. But we did it first because a safe community, as you know, is a cornerstone issue in helping people to address the virus. We provided hazard pay. We're still one of the few jurisdictions still paying hazard pay. And not just to police and fire and 911, Lisa, the sanitation workers. You know, the men and women who work at the water and the sewer treatment plants. You know, you look around, if you 
dealing with a virus and you think about it, and the doctors say always sanitize your hands, let me tell you who sanitizes the community, the Department of Sanitation. You can ill afford to have any break in service. So doing that, we were able to fight the virus, work remotely, and still as best we can deliver critical services. Well, I can't say my, my trash service was never interrupted <laughs> during, during COVID. <laughs> See, that's yeah. the thing about having it's Brian true. as this a constituent. You know, if I <laughs> slip up, it's it. like he's yeah. on TV. Yeah, hey, 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 yeah. I mean, every time oh. I turn on my TV or turn on my radio, I say, I'm going to get dogged out all over the state <laughs> if I make one mistake with Brian Robinson. Brian, you should give us your 15 seconds. Um, to let the CEO hear it from you, but I remember vividly when um, CEO you came in and had ch- challenges with the water meters and the water problem. But Brian, oh, Brian came on this show, and Brian let you speak for yourself and complimented you uh, on on your services. Yeah, well, I moved into uh, Brookhaven in 2016, and like we immediately started getting like nine hundred dollar a month water bills. You know, and for a portion of that month, our hot water heater wasn't even working. So we were showering at my old house, right? It was just like, it made no sense whatsoever. And when you called the water department, they're like, nope, that's right. That's what you owe. And it was just nice to be able to talk to the CEO and, and him go, yeah, yeah, I know we got a problem, you know? And, and, and I, I just saw good government at work. I saw leadership step in and fix a problem when you weren't making progress with the bureaucracy and that's what elected officials are there for so i mean that goes a long way with me and i and i and i look i tell republicans this uh, michael thurman uh because of his service in DeKalb, but also just a you know, long history of service would be a, a phenomenal statewide candidate one republicans would need to take very seriously uh because you know there's uh a large group of Republicans, well, I guess there are not many Republicans left in DeKalb County considering Biden got 85% of the vote there and Abrams got like 84. But uh, but the people in North DeKalb certainly have high opinion of you because because we don't see your name in the news, right? And that's what, that's what gets me. I, are you really a DeKalb CEO if you haven't been indicted? So I, I, that's my question to you. Oh. I mean, you have not been, you, you know, well, you, you have- you in the you beginning have, to uh, clean up the sewer and clean up uh, a corrupt government. And and you seem to have done that because like Brian said, uh, people no, we, have applied you for that. And DeKalb County government did have its problems, right? You, you can't admit you that. You know I had you to, admit right? That. Some individuals, but the great, and Brian and Theron, Lisa, you know, a few people, but the great majority of the men and women I work with every day, they just salt of the earth folk who come in, love their job. And it's, it was incumbent upon me to create an environment so hardworking, honest people can come to work and do their job, earn an honest paycheck, support them family, their families. And, and I'll admit, one of the most important things that I tried to do was to get us off the front page for negative reasons. And I'm so uh, proud of the work. And it's not just me, but we now have a better relationship with the municipal leaders in Brookhaven and, and Dunwoody and, 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 and Decatur. And we're in it together. And as a result, you're beginning to see progress. The reason we were past our first splots, a splot is a pennant that we use to pay roads, streets, and bridges, and infrastructure. DeKalb is one of the last counties in the state to pass a splot because we could not agree with our federal, state, and local leaders as to how to get it done. In 2017, 
municipal association, the county commission, myself, and others got together. We got it passed. And now you're seeing major improvements in the infrastructure all across mm -hmm. the camp, municipal and uh, unincorporated. And, you know, I'm a part, I'm a lifelong proud Democrat, you know, born, raised, and will die Democrat. But at the end of the day, it's about helping people. And I tell for I say it publicly, so this is not the first time. I can't tell when I cross the city limits of Brookhaven. I'm proud of what I see in Brookhaven, just as I'm proud of what I see going on in, in Stonecraft. I don't know whether it's unincorporated. I was elected to be the CEO of DeKalb County, not the CEO of Unincorporated, not the CEO of Municipal Life. It's everybody. And one of the things, when I talk to young leaders, look, you got to be for the folk who voted for you, but once you get elected, you're their representative as well, even the people who voted against you. Matter of fact, they'll call you more often. <laughs> and so you just got to be with them. Well, That's who's going to call you more often. Well, many in DeKalb and outside of DeKalb, and rightly so, call you the turnaround expert. You know, you help turn around schools as superintendent and as CEO. Uh, you turned around crime indicator, crime on the streets there, and as we mentioned, within the halls of government. Uh, you've sworn off a, a Senate run because you wanted to be closer to the people, but would you ever consider a run for, for governor? Yeah, well, how about that? That's what this is. Thank you, Lisa. This is what I want to get to. So, yeah, you 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 just sent me right down the alley where Brian was waiting for me. He, he was waiting <laughs> <up>. <laughs> but, you, of course, you know, you, you can't be a Georgia politician. I served in the legislature. That's when we first met, when I was over there in the legislature. Right, right. right. So, you know, so you come there and anybody who worked under the gold dome, I mean, you, you know, were always holding court the in the halls there. Yeah, you were. Yeah, 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 always, always. That was just part of it. But I'll be honest with you. I think I'm about the worst politician in the state. I just say I'm not in the way politics is today. And I've said this to Theron, and he's probably grimacing for me to say this publicly. I just think I'm the, one of the worst kind of I'm an old school politician. And I just think you get in the public office in order to make a difference, to serve people, and try to improve the quality of life for the people you represent. I don't, I don't know that I'm fit for this politics, where it's toxic and it's scorched earth and it's demonizing the opposition and it's hatred and total disrespect for anybody who disagrees with you on any issue. That's just not who I am. And I've never been that way, and I'm not going to change in order to ascend to some other office. It just So I don't know that, I'm, like I say, I'm the worst politician ever. And I don't really know how I can get elected to the jobs I got an elected for, because that's just not who I am. You know, I don't hate Brian. He's a Republican. He's a nice guy. We laugh. <laughs> we talk all the time. Right? I, I, I can't hate him. Now, he, doesn't vote, he may or may not vote for me. I may not vote for his candidate. But what did that have to do about whether or not you're a decent person, uh, you have the best interests of the community at heart, and the best interests of Georgia at heart? Well, I do, I do, I can point out because you don't have Republican opposition that I do, in fact, vote for you. I... <laughs> oh, okay, all right. And you will see that in a commercial uh, when I run. For, when, if I do run statewide, I'm gonna make sure we have that in a commercial. <laughs> Mr. CEO, but one, no, one of the... but thanks, Brian. I mean, because that's me. I, that's just who I am, Lisa. I'm sorry, and I'm old enough now. I've been, you know, I've been a lot of places and I sung a lot of songs. You remember that song, Baby Jane Taylor? He used to sing that song, Bell Alive, Baby, Sing Along Song. 
that's just who I am at this point. And I don't know whether that works in 2020. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to save you and change the, the, the topic in the conversation. Um, <laughs> no, I think um, one of the things that I hear from a lot of DeKalb County residents uh, and, you know, as someone who, Proudly lives in Buckhead, in the city of Atlanta, uh, unlike Brian, who lives in Brookhaven, a uh, nice area with a three-car garage and uh, manicured lawn. Uh, so much fancier than Buckhead, uh, yeah. But the one so, thing that people talk about... Well, Brookhaven is just Buckhead and the <laughs> That's a good one. The, the taxes are lower. That's the well, only difference between Brookhaven and the crime is better. And the, the crime is better. Lower. Isn't that right, Brian? The, the, the taxes lower. Well, that's where I was better. going. So, and I and and I'll lay off Brian a little bit because he's right. Crime is 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 better, and taxes are lower. But talk to us about property taxes, and you know that's one of the things that I hear a lot of people um, talk about that they're proud to be able to live in the cab and not have to pay the high property taxes. No, I love that. I think you can be, and I've got to create a term. I don't even know what the term is. It's a pragmatic progressive. I, I think we can have progressive government. We can provide services. Look, we have we went to $15 an hour for all employees uh, in 2018. And many, that's one of the uh, uh, main uh, issues, uh, one of the main goals for progressive politics is the $15 minimum wage. We instituted that in 2018. But at the same time, we built a $116 million fund balance. At the same time, every... The cab homeowner uh, for the last three, four years now has received over $100 million in Avalorum tax relief uh, through our e-host uh, that I worked on with Fram a lot to get through the legislature. So a, these a Republican. Are the yeah, yeah. I mean, he was there. He helped us get it done. He helped us get splots passed. So you can have both. Uh, you can be progressive. You can help those who need uh, help in terms of food insecurity, but you can also protect uh, Avalorum taxpayers and making sure uh, that, number one, the neighborhood so as safe as possible and that there's reasonable taxation. Look, the cab is gentrified, particularly over in, over in the uh, western portions at the, on the uh, city of Atlanta. That line is growing. So by having lower taxes, we're allowing long-time residents to be able to continue to own the homes that they worked for and paid for all of these years. So I've always felt that way. Uh, I felt you can do both. It's not an either-or proposition. You know, we live in a world where it's or. Uh, it's blue or red, right? It's left or right. And sometimes we have to understand the power of the and. Sometimes it can be and, but you have to invest some thinking and some strategy in it. So that's why with the American Rescue Act, uh, we invested millions of dollars uh, in rental assistance, we've invested tens of million dollars in food, uh, in, uh, food insecurity, and so many other issues, vaccinations. But at the same time, we invested in transforming our police department. We know that safety has to be one of the threshold issues. Uh, we just provided a $3,000 bonus to all of our public safety personnel because we know that retention and recruitment is key. So it, it, you don't have to be on either side of that divide. And oftentimes what I found out in politics, you can, the extreme left and extreme right, that's there. And it's important for people to be able to advocate. But in the politics where the work really gets done, it's somewhere in the middle. I'm just telling you, most often than not, this is when 
good public public policy uh, is developed uh, and it's, it's, it's adopted and ultimately implemented. I have a tougher follow-up on the property tax issue. You know, one thing that we hear a lot about on the local level here in Georgia is affordable housing, but it's an issue in the Atlanta mayor's race. I'm sure it's an issue in DeKalb, though I, you know, I don't necessarily follow it a lot. But you know, there are programs that that create uh, low-income housing through through the state through federal uh, programs, a low-income housing uh, tax credit program. And some of the developers who who build these, and, and th- these are nice places. I mean, they were sort of, it was created to kind of like break up slums and areas that have been run down and give people in the nice places that that uh, that are, are dignified and, and give them a place that they can be proud of. And these are for people who are working, uh, working class people who might have a hard time affording DeKalb or the city of Atlanta. But DeKalb taxes these properties much higher than some surrounding jurisdictions. Is there something that, is that worth looking into? Well, it is, and uh, it's been brought to my attention. You know, first we focused on Avalorum residential taxes. And as we continue now on moving forward, we will look at that as well. Affordable housing is an issue uh, in DeKalb, not as big as it is in Atlanta right now. Uh, but obviously that's changing. We see the cost of living and the value of real estate in, in uh, Brookhaven and some of the other uh, northern cities. Even Chamley is, is growing. You know, your next door neighbor, Doraville. Uh, DeKalb is, a, and I'm not just saying this because, I, and I am a DeKalb booster, let me just say it. But uh, DeKalb is an amazing place. And uh, it's, it's a sleeping giant that has awakened. Uh, when you think about who we are, some of the suburban counties are still debating mass transit. The cab helped give birth to mass transit uh, in Metro Atlanta. We're still the only suburban county uh, with heavy rail. Uh, we have more interstate highway lanes and the East Wall project that uh, Commissioner McMurray and the DOT are working on there is going to create BRT lanes over on the top end. And we have the second business airport in the state of Georgia in Peachtree DeKalb. So we are, and I can't really, what's the name of the business airport? It, it slips my mind right now. But we are the second business airport at PDK. So we are well <laughs> positioned, uh, I think, for the next uh, 10 to 20 years. We are, we have a consent. The biggest problem we had, though, was the water and the sewer system. Uh, you know, we have been plagued by repeat spills, and we had a consent decree in 2010 that didn't get done. Uh, we renegotiated a second one. We've invested, since I've been in office, half a billion dollars in getting and uh, improving and repairing our water and sewer system. That's the big issue. And in politics, we always see, I wish I could have spent my first four and a half years building a new civic center uh, somewhere that would be nice and shiny that people would marvel at. But, you know, and I have to give credit to Shirley Franklin. You know, she was the sewer mayor, so I'm the sewer CEO. Uh, I spent my time trying to repair and replace the aging sewer system. But that will be the foundational growth for DeKalb for the next 50 years. Commissioner uh, Lorraine Cochran Johnson says you restored credibility and stability to the county. However, there are some critics that have said in the past, while you're good at addressing a lot of problems, you don't seem to move fast enough for them. And you're well aware of that, you've said in the past. What is your message to voters who feel that way now as you embark on running for a second term? 
<laughs> that's great. And that always interests me. And first of all, I want to thank Commissioner Cochran Johnson for the kind words. She's an amazing uh, addition to the commission, and she's doing a wonderful job. You know, I, I'm more strategic. Uh, I One of my favorite sayings that all of my managers know about is a quote uh, from uh, Einstein. And, I, and I'm going to paraphrase it. And he said that uh, if he had a problem and that his life depended on the fact of solving the problem and he only had an hour to do it, he spent the first 55 minutes defining the problem itself. So I grew up in the country. My mother used to always tell us, measure twice and cut once. And oftentimes in life, we are rushing uh, to solve problems only to realize that what we thought was the problem was only a symptom of another problem. And so what we have to do in the public sector uh, to be most effective and to uh, actually resolve some of the more complex issues is to not focus on symptoms, but actually focus on root causes. And that often requires you to spend time, research, analysis, and engage them. Something like a sewer system or a water building crisis or you name it. It took me, we, I know we met every week for 18 months before we really understood the source of our sewer system problem. Now that's after 10 years and several hundred million dollars. And what we finally discovered after a year and a half was that the source of the sewer problem in DeKalb County was that we had storm water seeping into the sewer system. And that there were about 20 locations that would spill each time it was a major rain event. Up until then, we thought the problem was people pouring fats, oils, and grease down in the, in, in the, in the sinks. So, but you just have to take the time. The politicians, we're in this idea, we're in a world where it's like a sitcom world. You, you got three four commercials and break, and then there's a problem, there's a, a crisis, there's a, Andy Griffin will come up with what kind of solution, and then it's a resolution, and all gets done in 30 minutes. That's not the way politics work. And for instance, this consent decree, if we sign it, if the judge accepts it, it's a seven-year consent decree. That means, and I told them, they'll finish it long after I'm out of office. You can't solve everything uh, in a third for the six o'clock meeting. I can't resolve every issue by the time you come on at six o'clock in the A block. It just don't work that way. I wish I could, but I can't have the resolution there every day in the A block. Well, I hate to end our conversation talking about sewers, but <laughs> we, we enjoy having you always, and, and thank you for taking the time. And we we certainly are watching DeKalb County and watching what you do, and you're making tremendous strides there. So CEO of DeKalb County, Michael Thurman, thank you so much for taking the time for Political Breakfast today. It's great thank to have you, Mike, and I wanted to talk about your book about Oglethorpe, but we didn't get to it. All but. right, next time, you know, interesting. Next time, Lisa, I want to come back and talk about James Edward Oglethorpe. Okay, years, years right. ago you said you wanted to write a love story. Did you ever write that love story? <laughs> <laughs>
I'm living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a documentary. It <laughs> it's a documentary. Oh, I gotta make sure Zola is listening, right? I want to make sure she's listening. She knows, I'm right? living a long time. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Thank you so All much right, for thank joining you, Lisa. us. We love you. I love oh, you. I appreciate you so much. I will. Thank you All so right. much. Okay. Thanks for coming on, boss. Good okay. to talk. Thank okay. you, Mister. <laughs> we'll be back in a moment. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, you were just listening to our special guest, CEO CEO of DeKalb County, Michael Thurmond. And there was some breaking news that was happening as we were having our discussion. Herschel Walker has made it official, Theron and Brian. What do you say about that? Well, I'll go first this time. You know, listen, I've been hard on Herschel Walker, um, the now candidate for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate. I've always been a fan of the football player, Herschel Walker. But, uh, you know, what's very historic about this, Lisa, to me, is you now have two African-American males uh, who are running for a very high position within our political uh, you know, sort of world now uh, in the Republican Party. And they're running against a black man uh, in the Democratic Party. And so I think what's going to be very interesting to me is to really see uh, two things. One, um, how will Herschel Walker turn into a candidate at a time where, as CEO Michael Thurman explained to us, is a very tribal, sort of toxic environment. Um, you know, how will he be able to make that transition quickly? We saw that uh, former U.S. Senator Kelly Leffler made that transition, but it took her a little while. And then the second thing I'm looking um, forward to is how will he utilize the support of former President Donald Trump? Um, will he put him out there pretty soon to sort of just um, make him the obvious choice or will he wait and to try to utilize him at the end, knowing by being so close to him that that actually may uh, pay dividends in a good way, but it also may actually tie him to a very unpopular president um, with a moderate sort of independent electorate come November, if he were to be successful as the nominee. Yeah, I was going to say he has to get past the primary, right, Brian and Ag Commissioner uh, Gary Black. That might be a, a tough thing to do. Well, and, and also uh, former Navy SEAL and NSC uh, Intelligence uh, Operations Director Latham Sadler as well as in the race. And, um, and you know, there could be other people who enter, but I do think that Herschel getting in should freeze out other folks. You know, Congressman Buddy Carter from down in Savannah had tweeted out that he would get in if and only if Herschel didn't, uh, saying that he thought no one could beat Herschel. So it'll be interesting to see if he keeps his word on that because he had taken some steps toward a campaign, including airing a statewide TV ad during the Major League Baseball All-Star withdrawal uh, moment in time. So uh, Buddy Carter's another person to keep your, your eye on. 
Herschel Walker, as I've said here before, is going to start out with uh, universal name ID. That's a huge benefit. He's got good uh, will with the people of Georgia, yeah, particularly people of my generation who, you know, my earliest sports memories were of Herschel Walker. You know, I'm a UGA grad. The first time I ever went to see a game in Sanford Stadium was like 1982, and we were up in the the horseshoe corner, so we had the worst seats in the house. But and I just remember every play being like, which one's Herschel? Which one's Herschel? I was like seven year old Brian. So he's been a part of my life, my you know for for the for my entire life. And for many Georgians, that, that's the case. And so he's going to start out at a place that's really, really strong. Can he maintain that? That is going to be the, the issue. You know, at some juncture, he's going to have to take a stand on some issues. And the people who disagree with him are going to begin to have a different view. Once you become a politician and you've got to take tough stands on these issues that, as the CEO just said, a lot of these things are they're not 100 percent on one side, zero on the other. It's sometimes it's a 51, 49 percent issue, and you got to take a stand, and that begins to chip away at, at some of that armor that you build up, some of that goodwill that you have. So uh, obviously he enters the race as the strongest candidate. Can he maintain that? And I've said not necessarily the strongest candidate. That's the only way of saying it. In the strongest position, because no one else rivals his name ID. You know, even you mentioned Gary Black. He's a statewide elected official, has been one since 2010, and had run statewide in 06 as well. But his name ID is probably in the mid-20s, maybe low-20s, uh, which is true for basically any statewide elected official below Governor Kemp. I mean, the governor's got 90 95% name ID, then no one else has anything approaching it. So Herschel has that going for him. One of the things I want to say really quickly, Lisa, if you don't mind, and I really just want to warn my fellow Democrats— um, Brian knows I like to sort of uh, he, he's more in the prediction game than I am sometimes, but I definitely like to send a signal very soon. Um, Democrats, we better be ready for a very robust, um, sometimes uncomfortable conversation about race and particularly a conversation about whether or not the African-American community who has been extremely loyal for decades to the Democratic Party. Uh, why should they remain loyal and committed to this party when you now have someone like Herschel Walker? And I want to be fair to him. I, I beat him up over the weeks. But if you go back and you hear some of his speech, speeches, Lisa, he talks very specifically about why he is a Republican. And, and as an African-American male, um, I do believe that a lot of the barbershop talk that I hear about um, with him and Vernon Jones, let's not forget Vernon Jones, Kelvin King. I mean, Lisa, did you ever think in Georgia you would have three black men running to to get the nomination of the Republican Party? So I, so what I would say to Democrats is we need to start doubling down now and reminding black people in the state of Georgia why they should continue to vote for us and why we appreciate they vote and we actually, um, you know, stand up for issues that matter specifically to the black community, because what I think Herschel Walker and Kelvin King and Vernon Jones are going to do is that they're going to use some talking points that I think will definitely get some black people's attention about why they should vote for them, not only because they're black, but just really sort of digging into some of the deeply, deeply rooted sort of concerns that some black men have within the Democratic Party uh, who will remain loyal to the Democratic Party. But I just think that we need to start now with that messaging because I think that's one of the lanes that Herschel is going to do well in. 
You know, uh, uh, on that issue, which is a perennial, as it should be, this should be a perennial issue for any Georgia political show like this, is what the black electorate is going to do. Uh, the black electorate votes much more in a block than the white electorate does, although it's not that different. You, you think the white vote used to be 80% Republican earlier last decade. It is 90% Democrat on uh, the black voter side. But what has happened nationally, this isn't just Georgia, the, the black and Latino coalition parts of the Democratic Party are the most moderate and most conservative elements within the Democratic Party today. And it makes sense that the black and Latino portions of the party are the ones that are the most likely to become crossover voters and vote for Republicans here and there before eventually becoming full-fledged Republicans. I can definitely see it happening, uh, it, particularly in Georgia. Uh, when when it, I see it in my, in my own personal life, and Theron's an example of this, right? When I, when I talk to my black friends who are Democrats, they are more conservative than the white Democrats I know. You know, uh, if you talk to black Democrats and say, should you have to show a voter ID? The vast majority say, yes, you should have to vote. That makes that makes sense. That's not racist. Uh, it's white. It's white woke millennials that think that stuff's <laughs> all terrible. But but black voters are much more pragmatic well, I am and practical a about it. it. Progressive. And I want to steal that from CEO Thurman. And, <laughs> and Brian, don't you try to make my listeners believe that I'm a conservative. I am a proud black man right. first. And then I'm a proud Democrat right. second. Uh, but I'm a little right. bit more moderate. Uh, but anyway, Lisa, sorry to I, I think, we, you know, one thing about this podcast, we like to take it there. And it's more of a wake up call uh, for Democrats. But I do believe that Senator... Reverend Raphael Warnock is doing a phenomenal job. He will be able to have a very um, high-level intellectual conversation about policy, about his votes with whomever wins the Republican nomination. I think him being a credible black man who, by the way, the numbers reflect, received a lot of votes from the white community, the Hispanic community, the Asian community, the young um, vote. And so All I think he'll be able board. to pull together that, that coalition. All right. We'll give you the last word, Brian. I see you shaking your head there. No, but I was shaking my head in agreement with with that. Uh, Raphael Warnock, and I I mean this sincerely, is as talented a communicator as anyone I have seen in Georgia politics. And if you talk to Republicans privately last year, all of them said the same thing. You know, I ain't voting for Warnock, but God, his ads are the best ads out there. I heard that all the time in hushed tones. Here's the thing, though. Those ads were not on policy so much. They were about, uh, it's, you know, the puppy ad, the, you know, that, that type of thing was about uh, making him seem likable. That was, that was the approach. And that is part, that was part of that building that coalition. You know, uh, there was a New York Times story. His ads were focused on making white people comfortable with him. That's what, that's not me. That's the New York Times. And, and it was very effective. It really did penetrate. In 2022, Raphael Warnock will not be judged on puffer vest and puppies. It'll be on the Afghanistan withdrawal. It will be on inflation. It will be on crime. It will be on the crisis at the border. Those are the things that he's going to have to talk about next time. He's not a new face. He is a sitting U.S. senator, and he owns the record of his party And, in and don't forget his ability to untangle the Christmas lights. That was another good ad as well. Yeah, it was. It was. Yes, I forgot about People the Christmas lights. People still talking. Yes. Brian Theron, yeah. thank you for another week of good talk. 
Thank you for joining us for another edition of Political Breakfast. We'll see you again next week. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Darren. Thank you, Lisa. Hey, y'all. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. WABE. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at wabe.org or wherever you find your podcasts.